Listeners, a couple of weeks ago, I asked you to share the ways you find the courage to have difficult but honest conversations. A few people wrote in, and this is what they had to say. Erica says, I realized a while ago that if I can say some things with love, then it'll be much more possible. The difficult thing is finding a place of love sometimes. There was this one guy who's kind of a friend of mine, but he mostly just drove me crazy. I realized that if I thought of him as a puppy dog, that I couldn't possibly hate or be mad. Then I was able to be straightforward with him about the things I needed to say. Erica, I have to say that's an approach I never would have thought of, but I am thrilled to hear that that works for you. Diane in Illinois suggested three things. Number one, write it out ahead of time. This helps to organize your thoughts. You will feel prepared and calmer during the conversation. Number two, visualize. Imagine you're having a calm, gentle, and respectful conversation with the person. Number three, breathe. Take three long, deep belly breaths to relax your nervous system. Diane in Illinois, I like your style. I feel like I can see people taking notes on this. Maybe rewind this part here, people. And lastly, Adriana in Chicago writes, consider what honesty could make possible. What do you stand to gain from this conversation? What is at stake if you don't have it? Clarity on what you are hoping to achieve can keep you on track getting to and through the conversation. I think that is so key to keep things in focus because sometimes when you get into a conversation, you can kind of go off the rails a bit or somebody else can go off the rails, kind of keep your blinders on, stay focused and stay on track. And yeah, just focus on the positive. I think that'll help you get through. Well, thanks to Erica, Diane, and Adriana and everyone else that wrote in with great advice. Don't ask Tig but do ask my very wise listeners. Also on April 14th, I will be in the Biloxi, Mississippi area. And then on April 20th, Red Bank, New Jersey, April 21st, Poughkeepsie, New York. I'll also be in Las Vegas on May 2nd, Fayetteville, Arkansas on June 23rd. And also keep your eyes and ears peeled for the date that I will be taping my next stand-up special. I will be revealing that very soon. So come on out and see the last few shows that I'm doing before my taping. Go to tignotaro.com for all show links and ticket information. See you there. Now on with the show. I feel like we had a meeting. We had a team meeting. We made some decisions. Yeah. I can't believe I'm on your team now. You are. You know, when you get team. your conference calls yeah. going, you get your managers, your agents, your attorneys. We got to get Tig on the horn. You're the CFO of Maz Enterprises. I love it. I love my job. This is Don't Ask Tig. I'm Tig Notaro. Seriously considering renaming this show to Wait, Wait, Don't Ask Me. 
My guest today is a comedian and actor. He's appeared in films including The Interpreter and Friday After Next. You've seen him in shows like Grey's Anatomy and Shameless. He's got not one, not two, but six comedy specials. You can stream his latest one, Pandemic Warrior, on Peacock. His best-selling memoir is titled, I'm Not a Terrorist, But I Play One on TV, and he's a regular panelist on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Maz Jabrani, welcome to Don't Ask Tig. Thanks for having me, Tig. Uh, I'm excited to be here. This is going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be a great time. And as we talked about, you're very nervous and just blushing because (sighs) you can't even believe that we're here live on Zoom together. Listen, people are hearing this, (laughs) but if you could hear the sound, uh, the color red, Uh my face is just very red. (laughs) Were you working out earlier? Or obviously, I know you can handle meeting me. I mean, Tig, first of all, Jabrani. Listen, Come on. I love you. I'm a big fan. I met you once at Kings Road Cafe, and I remember meeting you. So that's just, I know you don't remember meeting me. <laughs> no, I, I do. Meeting, okay. I okay, do. I okay, remember we'll meeting It was okay, very okay. brief. Yes. And very many years ago. Yes. Yes. But are you hot? Is your room? No. You know, whenever you get a new device, Mm-hmm. So I have younger kids and they need a computer. So I was like, hey, take mine. I'll go get a new one. And I was all excited. Yeah. I didn't really need a new one, but I got a new one. And there's always something with these things. They do something with the color. I just got a new phone. I'm getting all kinds of new stuff. I think I'm going through a midlife crisis and just give my money to Apple. And it's all coming out in your face? It's all coming out in my face. The phone, I don't know if people have gotten the new Apple iPhone. It's like, it won't turn off. You know, usually your phone goes dark. They've got a new thing now where it won't go dark. And I'm like, I want it to go dark. And then you Google it and it says you have to go into settings and do the settings so it goes dark. So I assume my computer has some setting called red face. Ah, no. And I don't have the new iPhone. That sounds terrifying. Once you finally figure out how to use your phone, then bring out a new one. I know. Yeah, so here we are. Now, Maz, you just came back from a three-country tour of the Middle East. Five-country tour of the Middle East. Well, that's why your face is red. There you go. I haven't yeah. slept. I'm sunburned. Every show was out by the dunes in the <laughs> desert. <Yeah. laughs> there was wind and there was Lawrence of Arabia was my opening act. And it was great. What were some of the highlights of the trip? Well, it was pretty amazing. First of all, I was nervous going to Egypt because I hadn't been to Egypt in 10 years. And the whole oh. time I'm thinking, will my comedy that I've been doing in the US for all these years translate to my comedy mm. in Egypt? Because I've done comedy in the Middle East before. But usually I've gone as a part of a group of like four or five people. So we each do 20 minutes. This was me headlining, having to do an hour. This was me not having been there in a while. This was me being told maybe an hour before. Oh, by the way, I got an email from my manager's office. The promoters asked that you just don't talk about sex, religion, or politics. I was like, ah, (laughs) an hour before? (laughs) An hour before I do my show called... Sex, religion, and politics? (laughs) I just changed the title, the religion, sex, and politics, and it worked. Yeah. But um, it was interesting because I first went to the Middle East in 2007 with the Axis of Evil comedy tour. And ever since then, I think that the IQ of the comedy audience in the Middle East has grown. Mm. Because of social media, they've seen more and more. So back when I went in 2007... You had to really be super clean and not talk about anything edgy. Mm -hmm. But they were laughing and they were getting it. They were with you. Now, I think because they've seen so much on social media, 
you got to go for it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know, I'm going to drop a few F-bombs. I'm going to kind of do the same act I'm doing in the U.S. And people were thanking me afterwards, going, thank you for not cleaning it up for us. And the promoter was like, I don't know what's going to happen to me tomorrow, but <laughs> the audience <laughs> liked it. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I don't know what yeah. I would do if somebody was like, you can't talk about being gay or having a rickety body that's falling apart all the time. Or cats. Yeah. I'd be like, why am I here? <laughs> Going to the Middle East is like a big corporate event. Mm-hmm. You know, like you go to a corporate event and they go, just don't talk about, yeah. you know. Yeah. So I actually did a corporate event a couple of years ago. Sometimes when I get hired, I go, who are these people? Like, why did they hire me? I want to find yeah. the connection. So. There was this event, and usually the events, when I say, who are they, it'll be like, since I'm Iranian-American, it's either like, they're either of Middle Eastern descent, or they're immigrants, or they love your family jokes, because I do jokes about my family. Yeah. This one, I go, who's the audience? The lady goes, it's a bunch of good old boys from Texas. I go, what? I go, why would they Why would they hire me? <laughs> I thought it was a trap. Yeah. In my mind, I'm like, this is going to be a Trump rally, and they've uh-huh. picked me to come. And it was crazy, because... Before, when they would say, don't do politics, it was like, okay, don't talk about Trump or don't talk about someone in the Congress. Don't talk about actual political stuff. Going into this event, I realized everything had become so political because I had a lot of jokes about coming out of the pandemic and how stupid people were that didn't want to, you know, the anti-maskers. I was making fun of anti-vaxxers. Now I'm like, oh, no, this is those people. Right. And I'm telling you, Tig, I did my set. <laughs> they said 45 minutes. I had my eye on the clock. Like as soon as yeah. it hit 45. 44, you're starting to wave. <laughs> I was like, good yeah. night. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you ever stumble upon this, but I find people will say, I'm not political, but, and then they'll start talking about vaccines, being anti-vax or all of these political hot topics and you're like that's politics yeah but anyway not to go into more politics and i love it there was actually a comedian i saw this clip and i was like i wish i would have come up with this there's this comedian i forget his name right now he's in san francisco and he goes you know some people say they're not political and he goes i get it you know you're not affected by healthcare. i get it and you're also not affected by the financial markets that's fine okay i get it and he just started listing all these things yeah And it's impossible not to be political. Exactly. And I think that maybe people that think that they're not political are removed in some ways because a lot of things they think don't reach them or affect them. And the fact is, if you have a pulse and you have a thought, you have political leanings. Whether you're voting or not, That's it. you have thoughts and feelings. It affects you. Wake up. Wake up. Yeah, so don't yeah. tell me no sex, no yeah. religion, no politics. Yeah, Let's yeah, keep yeah, yeah. talking about it. By the way, back to the Middle East real quickly before we move on. I did my biggest shows ever. Mm-hmm. It was me and Mo Amr. We did a show in an amphitheater in Bahrain. 5,000 people showed up mm-hmm. and it started raining in the middle of my show. I'd never had it rain in the middle. And of what my- is the name of the place where you were? Bahrain. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I should have known. It's, yeah, it was giving you a heads up. <laughs> Pretty much. It told me what's going to happen. I didn't pay attention. And you were stunned. I was stunned. It was really cool. Yeah. And they stayed and it was really this, um, you know how it is. 5,000 people sat through the rain. Sat through the rain, man. I mean, That's how good you are, sir. It wasn't pouring. It was kind of drizzling. I mean, I, still, I imagine. Yeah, I was yeah, at I'll my just son's baseball game yesterday <laughs> and it was drizzling. And I was like, how am I going to live through this? Oh, my God. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So there you have it. But you're right. When I tell the story, I should say, torrential rains came upon us in the desert and the people yes. stayed. 
That's how I'll tell the story from now on. <laughs> five thousand. Five. Not just the people. Five thousand people stayed. <laughs> the citizens of Bahrain. <laughs> now your memoir. I'm not a terrorist, but play one on TV. It details your quest to be an actor without being required to quote wear a turban, tote a bomb, or get kicked in the face by Chuck Norris. Yes. Do you feel we've made any progress since you wrote that? Yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. What I've seen more and more now is having people from these backgrounds behind the camera writing the stories in executive positions mm -hmm. so that they can say no. Because even the story I tell about early on in my career, this was in the early aughts where I played an Afghan terrorist who was going to blow up a building in Chicago. Um, this is before 9-11 had happened, and it was a Chuck Norris movie of the week. And the only reason I took it was because it was a, I had a day job, and I thought, well, if I can get enough work in TV, I can quit my day job and really go full-time with this acting comedy thing. And so when I went to film it down in Texas, that's where they were filming it, they go... Uh, you in Texas. I know. It's, maybe that's why they hired me for that thing. Maybe somebody <laughs> yeah. saw me on that movie. It's like, I love that guy, that guy with a yeah. turban. So I went to the wardrobe <laughs> fitting, and they go, here's your shirt, here's your pants, here's your turban. And I was like, oh. Mm -hmm. I go, no. I said, I don't think my character would wear a turban. I go, Afghans in America don't wear turbans. If I were part of the Northern yeah. Alliance or the Taliban in, in Afghanistan, yes. Yeah. I said, especially if I'm going to be blowing up a building, I think I'm going to lay low, maybe wear a Yankees right. hat. I don't know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> they were like, no, the executive producer who happens to be Chuck Norris's brother wants you to wear the turban. So all of that to say, I believe if the executive producer had been, you know, somebody from my background, he might have been like, oh, you know what? You're right. This makes no sense. But Chuck Norris's brother was like, no, Turban is good because then our audience can watch and go bad guy and then see yeah. Chuck Norris good guy. And that's it. So I think it's changed because we have a lot of people now writing and making shows. And I mean, there's still a long way to go. Yeah. But we made yeah, a little bit yeah. of progress. Absolutely. It's a hard line to walk in conversation of, yes, we've made a lot of progress. Because as soon as you say you've made a lot of progress, people will speak and be like, no, there's still, and it's yeah. like, no, 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 of course. But you have, even like as a gay person, when I think of 25 years ago of Ellen coming out and like, that was nuts. Yeah. It was nuts. Yeah. And that was 25 years ago. And then like, now there's the don't say gay or people that are terrified of trans and non-binary and all of this. It's just like there's so far to go to still be able to make people feel safe. And that's what frustrates me. It's like people are on this planet. They want to live their life. They want to be who they are. If they're not hurting you, please. That's it. It's so simple. It's so simple. It's like this whole thing of like, oh, we don't want to teach about black history in schools because it might make white kids feel bad. I go, no, it'll make white kids be like, oh, my grandfather was a dick. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. It's just so silly. And like, you're right. It's like every time you think, oh, this is good, you meet somebody and you go, huh. Like I have my 12-year-old daughter, 14-year-old boy, and my wife is of Indian descent. I'm Iranian, so we're mixed. Yeah. They grew up with a lot of kids that were mixed. And in all honesty, I really don't think that they see too much of the skin color. There's, it's just not an issue at all. It's not a thing. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, wow, the future, I feel, is promising. I was like, they give me hope. Mm -hmm. And then my son goes to the mall with his friends. One of them is a black guy. The other, you know, a couple of the Latino guys. And they're hanging out. And some kids come over and they start saying racist stuff to my kids. And they're like 12, 13-year-old kids saying racist yeah. stuff. To my yeah. half Indian, half Persian kid, the black kid. The other, and I'm going, 
I had so much hope for this generation, but they have yeah. 12-year-old racists. Like, what yeah. happened? <laughs> so again, still a long way to go. Yeah. But I think there's really great conversations and shifts that have been happening. And I'm really trying to stay hopeful. Yes. But long way to go still, but have come a long way. Amen. A long way to go. Amen. And what about you? Do you have any advice that you need right now that maybe I can help you with before we get into some questions from people? The advice... And again, this shows Don't Ask Tick. I'd like to find out, how do I remain consistent with something I decide to do? Tig, I decide to do something every week or every day. I go, this is it. This is going to be the workout. Oh, this is going to be the writing routine. Oh, this is going to be mm. the way I'm going to see the world. And 48 hours later, I'm on to something else. This is so weird. And I don't even know where this came from. And I don't know that this will help anybody else. I decided recently that once I'm starting my day, I wanted to get back in the habit of making my bed, uh. which I stopped doing. And the first time I did it, I said to myself, this is important. Mm -hmm. And I know, obviously, there's much more important things in the world. But I started telling myself because it was annoying me to stop and make the bed. Mm -hmm. But I was like, no, I when I walk into somebody's room and the bed isn't made, I'm like, oh, their bed's not made. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. It looks so much nicer when your bed's made. Mm -hmm. And so I started making the bed again. And I just started telling myself, this is important. This is important. It's important to, to, that's a good thing to say. I think part of it is sometimes with the workout, sometimes it's with the writing mm -hmm. and the bed thing. I do, I actually do the bed every day. And uh -huh. my secret to making the bed is, it's just one sheet and one comforter. You just pull it. Yeah. And that's what I do. I'm not making it like I'm the world's greatest housekeeper. I'm just covering up the bed. But even that, I'm like, oh, gosh. Yeah. I just go, this is important. Yeah. This is important. This because is important. I think it represents so much more yes. when you're making your bed. I like that. This is important. Okay. Yeah. That works. All right. Yeah. Are you ready to dole out some wisdom to my uh, listeners? I am ready because why? This is important. This is important. Yeah. I think we make a good team, kid. We're on to something. This first question was sent to us from a listener in China. Ooh. Faye writes... Hi, Tig. My best friend from high school is a pilot. Video of her flying an advanced training aircraft was on the news. All of our former classmates are blown away by how incredible she is at the age of 21. I'm excited about her achievement, but can't help being awfully jealous and defeated. I'm not passionate about my major. Meanwhile, I don't feel like I'm good at anything else. How can I get rid of this bad feeling? Wow. 21. Yeah. They're young. They are young. Yeah. Faye, let me tell you, the first thing I want to tell you is you have time to figure out what you want to do. Mm -hmm. I changed careers several times because my parents wanted me to be a lawyer. Then I decided I want to be a professor. Then I got into advertising. And then it was in my wow. mid-20s when I finally decided to go after what I'd loved since I was a kid, which if you're trying to find what it is that you love to do, what did you love to do when you were younger Try and live in that world. Mm -hmm. And when you find that, you will find that you are lucky to have found it and you will be able to exist in it. And you won't necessarily have to compare yourself with your pilot friend because she's doing what she loves and you're doing what you love. I couldn't agree more. You know, you hear all the time, it's important to be yourself and you should go for your dreams and anyone can do it. And if you can dream it, you can be it. And all of those things, it actually is true. 
And I similarly went down so many paths. I failed. I dropped out of high school. I was so aimless. I did odd jobs. I love music. And I thought, well, I'll be in the music business or I'll try and play music. But my deep, deep top secret dream was to be a stand-up comedian. And I was not encouraged. And I was not really in an environment or a town or whatever that it really made sense. So I just thought, well, I guess I'll do this thing, or I'll try that, or I'll try and find happiness here or there. And it's kind of similar with finding love, you know, when you settle for somebody and you think, well, no, this is a good person and they provide or they're whatever it is that you're telling yourself. And I always check in when I hear my voice go higher, when I say, it's good, it's, yeah. it'll, they're nice, yeah. or it'll pay the bills and it's solid and that's not the voice yeah. that you want to deliver your life story with. I noticed when I met my wife that my voice dropped to pure honesty. Mm-hmm. And I said, she is incredible. Wow. I love this person. I wasn't like, she's good. You know, she's <laughs> funny. Yeah. She's pretty. She has a good job. I was like, and Stephanie is all those things. But it's also... It bleeds into your work and what you do and who you surround yourself with and really try and figure out what your inner person being self wants. And if you're talking in that higher voice, that's not it. And really think about where your voice goes to that truth. That's a good point. You know, if you had some issue at the house and you have someone coming in to fix something and like you just said, sometimes I'll be like, "Eh, they're good enough. Mm-hmm. And my wife's like, but do they have insurance? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> but they're getting the job done and they're... Blah, 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 blah. Yes. That's not the voice. <laughs> yeah. Becoming a stand-up seemed as impossible as going to outer space. Yeah. Mm-mm. This is what I do. I did it. One of the reasons I was bouncing around so much was because you don't finish high school and say, or even undergrad and go, oh, I'm going to now go to graduate school and stand up comedy. No. And then I will be hired by the comedy store and then I will go. It, there's no, it's not a lawyer. No, it's, it's not, not a doctor, direct path. No direct path. And you really don't know. And you really no. don't know what it is. Stand up is actually a great analogy for anything that is unpredictable and unknowable. Mm-hmm. Because, like you just said, where do you start? Where do you go? And it's amazing because we all meet people once in a while and the guy says, yeah, you know, I'm a, I climb mountains. I'm an adventurer. And I go, how, how did that come about? Mm-hmm. And it's exactly what you just said. They loved it. They did it. They figured it out and they're doing it. Yeah. And so it, it really is about finding that lower voice. This is what I love. This is what I want. One piece of advice I give people, I say, don't listen to your parents. Uh-huh. They don't know anything. <laughs> Everyone's parents are pushing them to do stuff. Yeah. Only you know what it is. Right. And that lower voice is what you were talking about. That's what it is. Yeah. Go for it, Faye. All right. One day it'll be your time to fly. But for now, stay grounded in that low voice of like, this is me and I'm going for it. And worst case scenario, you could also get some anti-aircraft missiles. Just shoot her down next time she's up. That's another way to go. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll take a short break and we'll uh, we'll think that over. That's the Putin way. <laughs> oh God, sorry. That's we go out to commercial on. That's the Putin way. I'm a comedian. What do you want? <laughs> that's the Putin way.
If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. You can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Sephora, and Zappos. And even stack deals on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, it's Janae Desmond-Harris, a.k.a. Dear Prudence, and I want you to tell me about all your problems. Each week on Slate's Dear Prudence podcast, I'm here to tackle your questions about relationships, sex, work, family, and beyond, all with the help of an expert guest. We'll help you navigate it all. Whether you're a teen dealing with parents, an adult looking to spice up your sex life, or you just need some validation that you're not losing it, we're here to listen and to offer some guidance. Need help? Just ask Prudy. New episodes every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Jamila Jamil here. You may know me from my role in The Good Place or from She-Hulk or from social media and my activism. I Weigh basically started as a social movement and my podcast is one of my truly greatest achievements. It's a podcast against shame and a place for us to have really honest and truly inclusive conversations. I love connecting with people. I love learning. I have a lot to learn and I'm inviting you along with me. On I Weigh with Jamila Jamil, I have friends, activists, specialists and absolute heroes join me to teach me from their experience and expertise. People like Conan O'Brien, Jane Fonda, Roxanne Gay, Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Byer, Alok, Kelly Roland, and more. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil has new episodes out every Tuesday and you can find the show on earwolf.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we're back. Maz, this next question is from Meg. Meg writes, hi, Tig, I have a coworker that I don't care for, and it appears to be mutual. There's no bad blood. We're cordial, but generally steer clear of one another in social situations. I had a baby last year, and she came to my work baby shower late, never spoke to me, ate some food, and immediately left. Now she's pregnant, and my boss is throwing her a baby shower. I don't want to go, but our work team is small, and I don't want to cause any drama. Any advice? My advice, Tig, I tell my kids all the time, you don't know what's going on in people's lives, number one. You don't know what kind of personality thing they might have going on. I mean, this could be this person that that she thinks hates her, doesn't really hate her. She's just not good around people. You yeah. know, I have a neighbor of mine. I'm convinced that this guy, he's got some social thing going on. Because every time I see him, I try to make eye contact yeah. and say hi. And he just averts his eyes. Yeah. And he just seems angry and upset. And every time I come back and tell my wife, I'm like, that guy... I'm complaining about it. I'm like, this guy. Yeah. And I go, yeah. he's clearly got some sort of social anxiety or something going yeah. on. So there's the option of killing them with kindness, mm-hmm. which is, I think, if she were to either find her in a situation where they're solo or she shows up at the baby shower with a smile and a, wow, so mm-hmm. happy for you. And just really sincere and tries to 
make that other person feel comfortable. Because I can't right. believe that anybody is a jerk 100% of the time. Even jerks got people they like. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And jerks are jerks because there were jerks. Yeah. In jerks' lives. Yeah. And so I agree. I mean, if you don't even feel comfortable overdoing it and killing with kindness, you can just show up and just be pleasant. And I think that's always kind of the the better route. And I do relate, you know, to go back to stand up in pursuing what was really my dream and passion. I found so much confidence after I became a comedian and did what I wanted to do. Even though I had like a cool kind of like tough guy, outer whatever was going on with me, I was really insecure and didn't know how to interact with people. And I had this kind of hard shell to me. And that's not why I always bring up things like, you know, the punk rockers that intimidate people. I'm like, those are softies. Yeah. They're just, <laughs> those are softies most of the time. And like Harley bikers and those are oftentimes the softest ones out there. But yeah, I relate to that. And Meg, not to jump on the side of this person that's potentially been rude to you, but but I do think go there and you don't want to make an even bigger statement by not going and then creating some imaginary rift. You know, I say go be kind, eat some cake, write a card that says something nice. Like even if you can't verbally express kindness beyond showing up there. Write a card that says, you know, I know I don't know you very well, but I I wish you all the best and congrats and use your words through the card, you know? The one thing you shouldn't do is don't go to the baby shower and confront her. Don't show up and be like, you and your baby, you think you're better than me? (laughs) Don't do that, Meg. Do not. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You're on to something here. So I hope that helps. And write back and let us know what you ended up doing. Maz, this next question was sent in by a teacher who wants to make amends. Seamus writes, I took 20 middle school students on a field trip. Between our planned activities, there was time to kill. So I took the students to a small art gallery nearby. It was two small rooms and the students were quickly over it. To keep their attention, I had some kids take silly photos with the art. Then, one kid stumbled a bit into a large painting. Long story short, there was some damage done. One of the docents approached me and showed me the damage and made it clear that the artist was going to be devastated. I looked this artist up. The damaged painting is worth $6,000. I thought, for the sake of good karma, I'll see if she has a less expensive painting that I could purchase. The least expensive painting was $500. I'm a teacher. I do not have that kind of disposable income. Please advise me on how to make things right. Oof. That's rough. Well, first of all, Tig, it's art. Yeah. So sometimes if you damage art, it creates new art. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing the artist should just just consider. Mm-hmm. If the artist is listening. If the artist is listening, you can repurpose or re... I'm just saying, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. The second thing, Tig, I see a great potential for a GoFundMe page right now because it's such an endearing story, right? Yeah. And this guy can put it out there, this guy or gal, whoever, with a teacher. Yeah. And I think people will chip in a few bucks Mm -hmm. and will make this artist uh, whole. 
Yeah. And I feel like, especially if you share this with maybe other teachers or parents or kids, you know, it could be like a coming together in a group, sort of like, let's fix this and make this right and not make it necessarily about you, Seamus, but like be more of, hey, we did this, this happened. What if we all come together and buy a painting for this amount of money and let's do some some work on the weekends or chip in or do the GoFundMe, make it a group effort. And then, you know, it would be really fun is if everybody, students, the parents, the teachers chip in and buy this painting, you can all share the painting and it can go to the house of a different person every week or month. I mean, that would be fun. Yeah. Come on. I'm, I'm right? in with that. I mean, I, that could be, yeah. that sounds like a local news piece, by the way, like the local news would cover that. Yeah. Make a GoFundMe and share it with the students, the teachers. And maybe if you're too shy to start a GoFundMe, have have another teacher start it for you. You'll raise $500 in no time and likely $6,000 in no time. Because as you said, it it's endearing and it wasn't malicious. So yeah. people are going to want to help you out. Yeah. And worst case scenario, tell the kid that did it his parents got to pay. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just Yeah, kidding. I bet the parents will kick down some cash. <laughs> Seamus, I hope you can find an artful solution to the unfortunate incident. We're going to take a quick break to answer a pretty common question that comes into our therapy etiquette inbox. This segment is where we answer those awkward questions we all have as people getting the professional help we need and deserve and is sponsored by BetterHelp. A lot of you write to us with your questions on the unspoken do's and don'ts around therapy. Shoutouts to Raven in Oakland, Charlie in Houston, Frank in Somerville, and Fran in Columbus, among many more. Trust me, you're not alone. Many people have similar questions and concerns. We're going to get into a popular topic that we've received in our inbox from a few of you. That is, what should I be looking for in a therapist? I've heard that if I feel like my therapist isn't a good fit, I can switch to another. But just thinking about how to tell my current therapist that I don't want to continue with them feels like a challenge. What's the etiquette for breaking up with my therapist? These listener questions are good because they're reminding us to be in touch with ourselves about what we need. What should we be looking for in a therapist? The most important thing is probably trust. Trust is the basis of any good relationship, and therapists are no exception. You need to trust to be able to open up, to be open to guidance, and to feel comfortable giving feedback about your own sessions. Another question, does their identity matter? Would you be more open with someone who might have shared similar experiences? What about their approach? How have your own needs changed over time? And what are they now? A lot of listeners ask about how to end a relationship with a therapist that just isn't working out for them. Breaking up is never easy, especially when you're in the mulling it over and worrying about breaking the news phases. You might be worried, am I going to hurt this person's feelings? Am I not giving them a chance? The truth is, in any relationship, it's better to be honest about having our needs met, and parting ways when it's not working. Breaking up with your therapist in a safe, controlled way is great practice for other situations in life when you need to end a relationship. Here's the plain facts. Your therapist should 
absolutely be ready to hear feedback about your sessions and about the fit between you two. They should also be prepared to transition you to another therapist by referring you and debriefing your experience together so you have more clarity about what you need and how to get it. As always, thank you to our Therapy Etiquette sponsor, BetterHelp. I hope that's been helpful or at least somewhat reassuring. We want to hear from you. Send us your Therapy Etiquette-related questions at don'tasktig.org. Now, let's get back to our conversation with Maz Jubrani. Maz, our last listener has a surprising question for us. Mm, okay. Claire in Ohio writes, My husband and I have had a competition going on for our entire relationship. The goal is to surprise each other with something big and unexpected. For example, I didn't see our engagement coming at all. He also surprised me by coming home during a period of time when we were in a long-distance relationship. He always boasts about how good he is at surprising me. We're trying for a baby And when I'm pregnant, I want to surprise him in a way that he would never see the announcement coming. What can I do? Uh, Well, I mean, geez, I mean, you hold the, she holds the secret. So it's all about how do you surprise the guy? Okay, let's go big. Let's go small. All right. You have Mm -hmm. the airplane thing with the banner. Mm -hmm. It's a boy. It's a girl. You know, hey, honey, look up. Oh, my God. You know, there's that, right? It's non-binary. It's (laughs) non-binary. Hey. It's trans. It's whatever it is, but airplane. <laughs> That's number one. <laughs> number it's mixed race. It's mixed race. It uh, be, anyway. Yeah. So there's big. Then there's obviously the small mm-hmm. where like you're at dinner at a restaurant and you have the waiter or waitress come by and they present, you know, a blue cake mm-hmm. and you go, well, yes. that's, you know, ha, ha, yeah, you know, yeah. so you got yeah. those two ways, but I think these two are other level, Tig. We got to yeah, go with yeah. other level. Yeah. So what do you got? Well, our pregnancy and birth and all of no, no surprise there. Yeah. There's a lot of planning when you're a gay couple. Yeah. There is no surprise. But uh, I think I have to really think on this. I don't feel typically stumped on this show. I feel like things come pretty quickly. I, I got another. Listen, this is another way to go. So there's the mislead. What she can do is have like the door or whatever open mm. to the house and he comes in mm. and she's in the bed or she's in the corner and she's what she's going to do is she's going to draw in mascara like it's running like she's oh, been crying uh-huh. you know yeah and she's uh-huh. in the corner and she's crying and he's going to look at her and be like oh my god what happened and then she's got to really do an acting job here she's got to say something along the lines of like i'm leaving you <laughs> and then he'll be like what and then she'd be like, I'm just kidding. We're pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> oh that is beyond a misdirect. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> that We went in such different directions. I was thinking, what if you tell friends or family, people very close to you, and you have like a parade down your street, a car parade. You know how they had yes. birthday car parades? Yes. And people are honking, and you don't say, like, congrats, Claire, or your husband's name. It's just, like, a parade that's so loud and everything. Horns and cheering and singing, and you could tell him, like, go see what's going on out there. Okay, okay. Maybe that? 
Nas? Or yeah. we could do the terribly dark, hide in a corner and cry, <laughs> I'm leaving you. I guess that would be up to Claire. Maybe that'll speak to Claire, where she's like, I love that. We're giving her you options. We're giving her, it's either yeah. a parade outside or yeah. an acting, like an Academy Award kind of, you really got to sell it, Claire. Yeah. You got to yeah. sell it. And another acting job in that she'll be like, oh my gosh, what is all of that noise out there? Can yes. you go check? Yeah, you're right. We're asking for a lot of acting, whatever it is. You can't be nervous running around. You have to be chill, hanging out and be like, the hell's that ruckus on the street? Yeah. And this parade needs to go up and down the street. Like it can't stop, you know? Yeah. Just make it. Uh, yeah. Oh, also tell the neighbors and then have the neighbors come out. Okay, yeah. the neighbors have to be like cheering, or you could have the neighbors being like, "Be quiet, yes, keep it down," and then be like, "What is this all about?" And then it's like, "Carl's having a baby." Yeah, and you gotta have, you want to have some like random far off lady say that, yeah. like the nosy lady from the neighborhood, <laughs> right. and then yes. and then he'll be like, "What?" And then you're yeah. having a baby. Now go inside. <laughs> Or have some random man walking down the street mm. that just seems like a curmudgeon old guy and have him have a megaphone. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I like that. And then when a neighbor yells, what's going on? Have curmudgeon old man lift his megaphone towards the dad-to-be and say, you're having a baby. That's what this is all about. I like that. And then put the megaphone down and just keep walking. Yes. Curmudgeon Carl. <laughs> or you could be in the corner crying and he could be like, what's wrong? And then the parade starts yeah, oh. and she's like, well, I don't know, but go out and see what that is. <laughs> and then he's like, you're having a baby. <laughs> and she's just said, I am leaving you. Yes. And then now she, he gets the news that they're having a baby. And then it's it's just mayhem. Roller coaster. Yeah. Roller yeah. coaster. Claire, <laughs> good luck with surprising your husband. If you do any of this, truly, you have to let us know. But also, if you do your own thing, I'm still very curious yes. to know what happens. Yes. All right, Maz, this last segment is very straightforward. All right. It's called Best Advice, Worst Advice. Okay. And what is the best advice you've ever been given? Best advice I've ever been given? Gosh, you know, it's funny because I'm such an advice giver that I forget mm. who gave me mm -hmm. what advice. Um, you know, I know my dad probably gave me a lot of advice and my mom, my mom used to say, don't swear, which was probably the mm. worst advice ever mm -hmm. because I like swearing. Okay. So I'm going to give my mom the worst advice to saying, don't swear. Swear if you want to mm -hmm. swear. You don't have to swear, mm -hmm. but you should be able to swear. Yeah. Say whatever you want. Yeah. Say whatever you want. And then the best advice was, um, I'm trying to think who gave me the best advice. Was it me? Well, you know, I, I, I give, I, it was you. Okay. It was definitely you. Okay. Uh, but besides you, the reason I finally in my mid-20s decided to go after stand-up comedy was I had been planning on saving enough money so that when I pursued it, I would have kind of a, you know, some money to support me while I was trying to pursue acting and comedy. Yeah. And there's a gentleman named Joe Ryan who was at the advertising agency where I was working. He was in his 60s. I was in my 20s. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm trying to raise money and then go pursue my dream. And he goes, let me tell you something. He goes, if you really want to do it, you should do it. He goes, I'm in my 60s. There were some things I never got to that I wanted to do since my 20s. I just kept putting it off. He goes, mm -hmm. if you really want to do it, do it. And that was the best advice from Joe Ryan. 
So it's the just do it. Just do it. It was the Nike thing. Yeah. It was always on my shoe. I didn't even think about it. It was right there. <laughs> you just got to look down to look up. I know. There you go. Well, there you go. There you go. It's always a good time with Maz Jabrani. So thank you so much for doing the show. Thank you for having Pleasure me. Pleasure to see you again. Hope to see you at King's or somewhere. Yeah, we'll see each other again soon. Yeah, they got good coffee for sure. Is there anything you'd like to mention before we go? Absolutely. I have a new special coming out. It's called The Birds and the Bees mm. on YouTube. Awesome. Watch The Birds and the Bees on YouTube. It's free. So watch it. Thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. Congrats again on your special. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was fun. Yes. All right. Alrighty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And now that the show is over, go to don'tasktig.org slash live to sign up for our special virtual event with Mark Marin on April 24th at 6 p.m. Pacific time, 9 p.m. Eastern and 8 p.m. Central. For more information, head to donasttig.org slash live and donate $15 or more to attend. Again, Donast Tig Live with Mark Marin is happening April 24th at 6 p.m. Pacific time. Head to donasttig.org slash live. Looking forward to seeing you all there. is hosted by me, Tig Notaro. It's produced by Thomas Ouellette and Shayna Deloria. Our executive producer and editor is Beth Perlman. Engineering and sound mixing by Alex Simpson. Digital production by James Napoli. Talent booking by Marianne Ways. Production support from Maria Wirtel. Our theme music is Friend in Tig by Edie Burkell and Kyle Crusham. And Listen to Your Heart by Edie Burkell. Special thanks to Hunter Seidman. APM Studios executives in charge are Chandra Kavadi, Alex Schaffert, and Joanne Griffith. Concept developed by Tracy Mumford. Our executive consultant is Dean Capello and Gobsmack Studios. You can always ask for advice at don'tasktig.org. Just write in with your problem or send us a voice memo. Remember to follow us on social media at Don't Ask Tig. Don't Ask Tig is a production of American Public Media. And as always, thanks, Dana, and I'll tell Becky.
Hi, I'm stand-up comedian and sex symbol Tig Notaro. And I'm actor and writer Cheryl Hines. Before Cheryl and I got into the big business of podcasting together, <laughs> we were just simply friends. And we're still friends. But now we talk about a different documentary every week on our podcast, Tig and Cheryl, True Story. So whether you love documentaries or just want to hear us slowly lose our minds, check out Tig and Cheryl, True Story, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, cool. <laughs>